If you could turn in your Bible or turn your Bible on to book of uh, John chapter 14. We are um, going through book of John at a, uh, some, sometimes some chapters take a little bit longer than others. Um, this is a chapter you could break down into three or four weeks. We're going to cover it in one week. Um, that is just, uh, you know, you, there's so many aspects of this you could just look at. And two or three verses you could expound weeks on itself. But we're going to kind of keep this contextually rolling. If you ever um, pick up a book and you were to see a chapter broken in the middle of a story, you'd think it'd be a little unusual. If it looks like it was just contextually flowing, this is one. Chapters were put in there um, at a certain point where in, in verse divisions to break it up. And some make sense, some don't. This one is one. This is a continuation of where we were last week. Uh, John 13 was the, the room uh, is the upper room. The, that is where people are gathered. People are, um, they're, they're afraid. Jesus just explained he's going to be going away. People are confused. Uh, Jesus has just washed Judas's feet and Judas has just gotten up and taken off. Uh, there is confusion in there. there is, uh, they are at the brink of catastrophic failure. These disciples are wondering, why have I given up all I've given up, only to see it disappear when Jesus says, I'm now going to be leaving? So that is, the, that is the feeling of this room. That is the tension going on here. So before I jump in this, let me just pray for me that I'll get this right. And... Um, and then we'll just we'll jump into John 14. Please pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for your word. Hey, God, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, what he can do through anyone. And I just pray that, Lord, you speak through me, not a distraction that I would be in any way, that, Lord, I would um, be able to relate your truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So it opens up with a cannon shot in verse 1. Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Critical that you get this. This is like if you're watching a movie with a friend and a friend gets up, leaves during a critical part of the movie, and you're like, no, you try to explain it. And this in God, in me, is huge for us to get the just the the, 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 the full understanding of what it this means. This is not just believing someone. You can believe someone's words, but there's a big difference in believing someone's words, believing who they are, and believing in them. One of the greatest compliments you could ever pass to a child is believing in them and showing them that. In this particular case, you see, let your hearts not be troubled. This is not by the... These are um, Hebrew hands writing with Greek words. This is when you say hearts, this was their simple understanding of the heart is what dictated your emotions and your feelings. And so they're saying, uh, Jesus is saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let that be a sign of, uh, of I don't want to leave you like this. I, I, you're confused. You're, this is said, by the way, so many times. You ever get one of those, uh, the books and the promises of God? You, they make all kind of books and there's all kind of guides. There's a big deal about the promises of God. I forgot how many are counted. I should have looked that up. But see, there's a big difference in reading a promise of God and believing in a promise of God. And so Jesus is saying, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
He, then he goes on to read in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. If you ever grew up in a church that preached KJV only and sung a lot of songs about mansions in heaven, I, I, we're not knocking those. But I can tell you, biblically defined, that's not a correct answer. When you think of rooms, we are not talking about, if you Southerners are in here, you're thinking of this beautiful palatial white home with big columns out front and a white picket fence. We are talking about rooms. We are talking about, there is no understanding of like, hey, you know, um, we're we're just going to prepare all this place of wealth for you in heaven. First of all, we don't know what heaven looks like. We don't. There, There are bits and glimpses that we have on the verge of what it looks like. Heaven is in a scale we cannot imagine. Think of heaven in its size, we can't picture it. Uh, there was a Scottish uh, theologian who uh, took the measurements given off of scripture and kind of placed that in, in different areas and said, you know, it's, uh, it's, as we know, just the capital city of heaven alone is uh, you take the moon and you, you make it a cube in its size, and that's the capital city. By the way, interesting, there's no sense of, there's no understanding of gravity in heaven. Isn't that interesting? There's no, that's never mentioned. Um, so you don't know the depth of which it is. It's just the capital. So you think about like, in heaven, in this place, are being added many rooms. And for us, we think, you know, when you start to romanticize scripture, and that's not a good and healthy thing to do, we start making kind of a mockery of it. We start thinking, oh, well, you know, one day I'm going to get that mansion. Well, trust me, it's going to be a mansion compared to where we live. There's no doubt. But the idea is that's not the sense of it. See, there's a big difference between a house and a home. You know what I mean by that? You have a house that you can walk into and say, man, this is a nice house. They have everything. I mean, when Saddam Hussein fell, there were, men you probably saw gold-plated toilets and all that stuff that we heard about. That sounds like the most uncomfortable place I could ever, ever be. But yet you give me a place that's home and it's different. I think of, I imagine in your mind, if you were to think of one place that would be home, what would it be? I think of a place in my Aunt June and Uncle Ben's who are now in heaven. I'd walk, but in their back door is a garage door. The front door, I think, would, uh, the battalion of Marines could not have gotten to the front door. You know what I mean? It was like just sealed shut, been closed so many times. The, sorry, for so long. The furniture didn't match the carpet. The glasses were mason jars. They were all stained from the iced tea over the years. Uh, you walked in a place, it just felt like home. I could be me. You could be your best at home, and you always complain the most at home, it seems. It's a place that never turns you down. That's home. And see, he's starting to explain, Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. It's, I don't know if you caught that or not, but if you invited me, Bob and Cindy, you live in a lake, beautiful home, and you said, Jake, we're building a room for you. <laughs> well, hot dog. I get to live on Lake Keystone. Can't wait. Cindy can cook, and I'm going. Man, this is going to be great. There's a couple of ladies ahead of me. Yeah, is that? Okay, good. Okay, there's a few people ahead of me. And I'm thinking, man, you know, that would be an awesome op. Like, what, 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 just the thought that I would have been included is one thing. In religions where God is so distant and God is so judging and God is so damning in every aspect of someone's life, our God is one that says, I'm going to build a room for you. You know, right now, you and I are having a room built for us. A room we cannot picture, we cannot imagine. It's perfect. 
perfect. The only time the word perfect is, is used in scripture is describing heaven. That means anything that you think that you might miss here on earth, guess what? It's there. You think about that. Will there be dogs in heaven? I don't know. If not a dog, there's something even better. Because it's perfect. Will there be cats? No, because it's perfect. <laughs> but it's perfect in every sense. So he says, I'm going to prepare a place, what, for you, designed for you. And I, I keep thinking about in my life, I can't picture what heaven's going to be like. It means I'm given the privilege of being able to live a life that, in a faith that I'm not attached to it. Like, I, you could give me this faith with no assurance of heaven and I would take this faith. You show me a better system. You know we're brought here. This organization, this church is brought here to influence people that are not here. To love on people that don't live in our home. Can you think of a system? And then you take that further. You think of a God that loves us so much that he says, I just haven't forgiven you. I've come to say that I want you to dwell with me. I want you to be with me. They got this picture a little easier than we could. And with the time in which this was written... This is going to, you ladies are, this is Sheree, this is when you're so grateful for Ian to think you did not have to go through this system. But there would have been a contractual agreement made for a marriage in the day in which the, uh, the, the Bible is written. In Hebrew culture, what would have happened is the, the groom-to-be would have approached the bride's dad. And oftentimes that was arranged. You know, I mean, the... You know, Jewish families of this day, let me tell you, they're picky, aren't they? And they're looking around going, yeah, that guy right there, he'll do. And so well, here it would happen. The, the, the groom would go to the bride's father, and they would enter into a deal. And the, the groom would go back to his father's house. And he would build on a room to the house. For them, for the new... So these homes would just have rooms, 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 just keep, keep growing. And... The, the bride-to-be would wear a veil. She would never know when the wedding day was coming until one day a trumpet sounds. You know, by the way, there's no way you're going to tell me a woman, especially a Jewish woman, is not going to know when she's going to get... You know she's got runners and feelers out there, right? And, but she's waiting at the same time. When is he going to come back? But what's interesting, he would not go to get her until the room was complete. Do you know who judged whether the room was complete or not? The groom's father. He would look at it, walk around and go, not ready yet. No, you still have more to do. It's now is not the time. Now is not the time. The people of the time were used to this system. These guys in this room, even though they're on the brink of this catastrophic failure of what's going to happen, knew exactly what is going to go on. Because they're, they're thinking, oh, that's what you mean. That's what, yeah, I can understand that. You're preparing a place. They're getting it. But the conversation keeps flowing. Watch this. Verse 4. And you know the way where I am going. You know the way to where I am going. He says this. Uh, I'm, this is where I'm going to be going. Where is he going? He's going to the cross. He's going to a tomb. And he's going into heaven. There's something crazy about us as Americans that want things immediately. I'm as impatient as the rest of everybody. But there's an understanding here that people knew things 
took time. In the Old Testament, the journey of life was your path with God. Like they understood in the Old Testament, they knew, I just take this path and I, every day I walk, there's a greatness of God. So many times now, what do we want? We want God to fix everything in our journey. We want an altercation in our journey. We want to, and oftentimes churches, if we're not careful, say to somebody who's not a believer, you know what, if you'd believe, all things are, no. Now all things are not made easy, are they? Betty, you've experienced a journey like many cannot imagine. But along the way, you can pinpoint and say, this is where God held me high. Mona, I imagine there's times in your life when you, where you've walked and there's times where you, your journey didn't dictate when something tragically happened that that is where faith ends. That's where faith was felt. And so what do we do as Americans? We keep thinking, no, 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 wait a minute. I want this immediate peace right now so my journey is going to be easy. It just is. We as human beings will always take the path of least resistance if we can. Unless you're some adventurer who loves adrenaline and you just want to take every path that's not. Most of the time, what do we do? We simply take the path of least resistance. God is saying this, you're going to have a journey. I can't, you, I can't divulge to you where that journey is going to be. But in that journey is found me. I want you to picture, imagine um, some of you go camping with your kids some of you would probably have moments you'd look back on and say, man, that was, that was a moment. Bob, imagine if you took your kids, you went camping just recently, right? But imagine if you took your kids camping, let's say years ago, when they were five, six years old, I don't know if you guys did that. And let's say you, you and Martha take your kids out to the woods, it starts raining, it's freezing cold, you gather together under a tent, the kids, are, their warmth is against you. They're all huddled around you. And you're sitting there thinking, man, this is our moment. How awful would it be in 20 years or time, your kids look at you and say, I still can't believe you drug us to that place <laughs> in the middle of the weather, in that cold, and you're sit- we had to get counseling from it. And you're sitting there thinking, that was our moment. Like, that was us. And yet, you know, it's funny, Susan, I... I the 9.30 service, I used your dad as an example. He walked out and said, Appalachian Trail, and he gave your age and everything. And, it's like, and, and so he said that exact thing happened. The reality is, can you imagine all those times when we gripe and complain, where is God? What has he done? When in fact in that journey, those were his greatest moments with you. There were no distractions. Things were prioritized. And everything was in unison in a journey, a communion of a relationship. So he says, that's where I'm going. I was, uh, I was in Vietnam doing a, we had a medical clinic. And two days later, this guy comes back and he brings back a, a, a gift from a medical clinic. And I told the translator, I was like, man, you know, you didn't have to do this. He walked eight hours. And the translator just looked at me, kind of gave that stare like, Next, he's not going to translate what I said. And I picked up on it. And we went back to the, our hut. And I, I said, what did I do wrong? He said, well, you were questioning why he made the journey. Here, the journey is the gift. With every step he took of an eight-hour each-way journey was that understanding, I can't wait for the recipient of this to know how much I'm grateful. Can you imagine we, when, when we go to God and say, God, can you just make my path right? 
what we're saying is make it easy. What we're saying is like, God, I, I want a path where I really don't need you as much. I want a path where I can just rely on my own dependency, my own knowledge, my own education, my own giftings, my own skills. A path where I'm not dependent on others and they're not dependent on me. And we live in a world full of millions and millions of people who do that very thing. Jesus says, and you know to where I am going. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? By the way, those of you who are new to Scripture may think, who's Thomas? Thomas is also affectionately been known as Doubting Thomas. He's a guy that asks questions at every turn. Do not throw him out with the bathwater here because it's very important. Everybody else, he's, Jesus is saying, I'm going somewhere. What's every guy in there doing? Oh, yeah, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Thomas raises his hand and says, where are you going? He's the first honest man of the bunch. This happened a long time ago because I'm using the term girlfriend, but I was with my girlfriend one time. We pulled up to this, this cop and uh, this lady, cop walks up the window and I said, ma'am, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. She tells me where to go. And my girlfriend at the time said, stop, don't go anywhere. So what is it? She leans over to the lady cop and she says, I can guarantee you he has no idea what you just said. And <laughs> she said, you're exactly right. She gave her the directions. <laughs> I didn't, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, just, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is about us. We just don't grab it all the time. In this particular case, the guys are going, yeah, okay, where are you going? You're going, yeah, okay, you're going. Thomas says, stop. What are you doing? Where are you going? Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Are you catching this? Always ask how, what, where, and why something is in Scripture. Always ask that. Remember, we don't check our brains at the door. You cannot outthink Scripture. In this particular case, Thomas just asked a direct question. Where are you going? Jesus replies, I am the way, the truth, the life. What he's saying is this. We often think of this. If you ever say, can you go back to verse, um, verse 6, if you could, Ariel? How many, how many times have we seen this verse, I'm the way, the truth, the life? And we often think of this. The truth, the life, there is no other way. But also Jesus is saying, I'm not only the way to salvation... I am the way where I'm going. I'm controlling exactly what's going to happen on that cross. I'm controlling everything going up to the cross. You're going to see a crazy trial that's going to break out. And it's, by the way, I'm in control of that. You're going to see me dealing with a Roman governor. I'm going to control that. You're going to see me hanging, pierced on a cross. And by the way, when imminent death is there, I'm going to control that. And I'm going to control my resurrection. Jesus is saying, Thomas... I am the way, the path and the way are the same way. I am going on a path and I am the way, the truth, and the life. In verse, um, verse 8, Philip then says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So you go back to verse 8 and you think of this. How many of us have been guilty? How many times have we seen this? Verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Can you imagine that? 
He has seen blind people see, deaf hear, lame walk, dead rise. People with demonic legions of, of, of power in them released and watched someone innocent like a baby right after. He has watched people forgive adulterous prostitutes right before they're stoned to death and convicted the very religious ones who are about to throw a rock. And Philip says, if you just show us your father, I'd believe. Or would you now? Oftentimes, what do we think? If you, God, if you just show me something, if you would show me, I'll believe. But yet, what, what happens? We don't. We don't. Why? Because our soul is never satisfied on this earth for a craving for something more. We just want something more. We want something more. But then watch how Jesus replies. By the way, he uses his name in there. If you ever send me a text, say, I, I'd like to speak to you. Oh, okay, I'd like to speak to you. We'll talk. But if you say, Jake, I need to speak to you, or I'd like to speak, for some reason that escalates things in my mind. Like, what's going on? And it's so in this particular case, he's like, uh, Jesus says, have I been so long and you still don't know me, Philip? He drops this to say, you've been with me. If you don't believe me, believe my works. But there's something he said in here. Do you remember that believe in me part? Watch this. Go to, Ariel, if you would, go to verse 11. It says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I'm in the Father the Father's in me, we're together. So, you see that whole, that the importance of the word in. I believe in him. Jesus believes in his Father. His Father believes in him. There's, we believe in what we call a trinity. Those in a Muslim religion would look at us and say, we are not monotheistic, we're polytheistic. We believe in many gods because they see the trinity as three gods. We do not. We see the trinity in one way. In seminary, you learn these words you never use again called, we worship co-consubstantially, which means we worship all three equally. All three connected. But all three with separate identities in this place. And so here we see this trinity of beautiful description of Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's about to be brought up here in just a minute. But Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Why are you thinking these things? Now think about that. Jesus, if we, if we announce that Jesus walking in flesh would be in this place, wow, that would be enough. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. I can't imagine what that's like. Unbelievable. Now you're about to hear the voice of this Jesus say, oh, by the way, I'm going to leave you something greater than I am. That something greater than I am is the Holy Spirit, and that is what dwells in you and I. So, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Watch this verse. I guarantee you all of us have seen this in some wacko TV pr uh, preacher that's, that's tried to sell you olive oil for $500 and, and say, pray this prayer. Here it is. You ready? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in His Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That, by the way, has been misconstrued by more health and wealth gospel preachers than you can ever imagine. How many of you have heard somebody misuse this verse on TV and that kind of thing? Has nothing to do with 
a genie bottle here, which is saying, you know, if I put this heavenly hashtag on this prayer request, I immediately get anything I want. has nothing to do with that. This has everything to do with not the object of the prayer. Grab this. This is an important part of that movie. You ready? The, it's nothing to do with the object of the prayer. It's the act of who you're praying with. Did you catch it? If you ask anything, in my name. I mean, you could foolishly walk up to a Lamborghini and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I want this Lamborghini. You ain't going to be giving that Lamborghini. If you really believed in walking up and praying in the powerful name of a Jesus who has died for you, who's redeemed you, who is building a place for you right now, and would have foolishly asked for that, you would get an answer real quick. God, I can't pray for this in your name. See, the object of the prayer is not the important aspect of that verse. It's the idea of who you're praying in the name of. It changes everything. And so all of a sudden we start to understand it isn't one of those verses you can just throw out and and, and say, whatever you ask in my name. I've seen that done over time. Times people want someone healed. I, you know what? I, I claim in the name of Jesus, the person's going to be You can pray in the name of Jesus, that person's going to be healed. Don't know what the Father's will is in that. But I tell you, there are times I have prayed for someone and gotten a sense and a spirit that now's not the time. That the person's time is over. I felt that. I remember my grandma fighting for her life just like, man, I remember the innocence of faith. There's no way this woman, the godliest woman I know, this wonderful, sweet woman, there's no way God's going to let her die like this. There's no way I'm going to pray for her to get better. Then all of a sudden, God changes my whole prayer life. You go, God, let her go, let her go home. Let her go home to the place that you prepared for. How did that change? Did I just grow up? No. It's called praying in his name. In his name, because in his name, he's left us somebody to talk to, to interact with. Somebody that Jesus has said is greater than I am. He changes all our psyche, all our thinking. Verse 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive... Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now stop right here. Did you catch that at the beginning? Um, Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. There is a lot in this. I will ask the Father. So he's asking his Father. He's going to give you another helper. That means if you didn't need help, he would not give us a helper. The Holy Spirit is described as, think of some names, comforter. If you did not need comfort, you would not need a comforter. Counselor. A paraclete, one that comes alongside. We, I mean, we make it, uh, attorney jokes all the time, right? Until you need an attorney. And then you're like, you're the greatest thing God's ever given to this earth. You know you want somebody standing up for you. I've been in enough courtrooms where I've watched bad attorneys and good attorneys. I just watch it and I'm thinking, oh no, no, this guy's going to prison. I guarantee it. That attorney doesn't, he doesn't stand a chance. You just get up there and just watch him bumbling around and just all of a sudden you're like, man, represent the guy. 
And then you see the next attorney come in. I guess he got a bigger paycheck, didn't he? You know? He's in there practically moonwalking to the judge's chambers. I mean, just telling him what's going on. And all of a sudden, you see justice just unload and fall in the favor of of the attorney. And I'm thinking, what a difference. The reality is we don't pay for our attorney. Our attorney paid for us. Our lawyer, our defender, our paraclete paid for us. We have a defense that we can't, we're not even worthy of. And so you have, the, you have the Father who loves you, the Son who died for you, and the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And in this, you're, you have this helper who's guiding you along and showing you how to pray. This scripture that identifies and telling us the Holy Spirit intercedes with us that words that, uh, with groans that words cannot express. So we start praying. You don't even know what to pray. The Holy Spirit actually intercedes for us. And this is the beauty of what's going on. Meanwhile, everybody in this room is still worried. Where are you going? What's happening? What's going to happen to us? Everybody's still worried. Nobody has yet to ask a question I'll bring up at the end. What verse am I? Where am I? 17? Oh, 18. Good, 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 20. Go to that one. I'm telling you, if you grab anything out of this sermon, grab verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I in you. So start thinking about that journey again in your life. Start thinking about those things that you're worried about tomorrow. Think about those fears that you have five years from now. Think about, not one of us have walked into a nursing home or a hospital not wondered what our demise is going to look like. We walk around and we look and think, this could easily be it. And what's going to happen? And what's the first, I still think of those things. When I go to nursing homes, I walk out going, oh, please, no. You know? I just don't want to, you can't, I mean, some places are great, then some places are cold, and you know how they are. And you're thinking, God, no. You know how selfish that is of me? That I'm denying God who dwells in me to interact with me and to guide me and to show me. Can you imagine I am being denied and I'm denying him at the same time? Verse 20, uh, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, that's Thaddeus, by the way. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So Jesus, by the way, let's just take a pause here. Because there's a lot of scripture. We're reading a bunch of verses. And I'm not trying to rush John 14, but understand this. The, God, the, the role of a minister is not to just teach you something. It's to guide you into reading this. Understanding that this, should take, this could take you weeks of reading and expounding using commentaries. Don't lose focus that in this room, Jesus is giving his last sermon to his believers. He is desperately saying, 
I am going to leave something greater than I am. And you need to stop being afraid. Don't be afraid. And yet there's a resounding silence about one thing in this room. And it breaks my heart. Not one person, not one disciple who's walked with him all this time, not one man in that room has asked about his welfare. Not one. Not one person has looked at him and said, are you going to be okay? Not one person has stood up and said, are they going to hurt you? Not one of his believers have said, I want to, is there anything I can do to keep this from happening? Not one. And what was Jesus' reaction? To look out for them. To constantly say, I want you to know and give you some instructions before I leave here what's going to happen. You're going to be left alone. People are going to chase you down. These disciples do not know, as we know as much as Jewish tradition, that all of them, with the exception of one who is exiled, are going to be executed for their faith. He has not told them yet that in due time you're going to be given powers that we will not have. Apostles, uh, the powers of, 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 um, of remarkable healing powers. You will be ones who will write scripture. You will be ones who will defend my name. There's one of you who will go to India. There's one of you who will go to Europe. There's one of you who will go to, uh, to the tip of Africa. They, they don't know this. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to be alone. But not one of them, not one person has said, are you going to be okay? Think about us and how many times we have lived our life with the guilt of saying, I've cared more for my own success, more for my own family, more for anything than I've ever given time to say, Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for everything you've done for me. How many times have we been guilty of that in our life? And to know, guess what? Jesus treats us no differently than he did his disciples. Do you know Jesus' last prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested, he was praying for who? His disciples. He prayed three-folded prayer for himself, which was interesting. If you, I can't wait to get to that part. I'm calling dibs on that one, by the way. No, Shale's shaking his head, No. Three-folded party prays for him. Jesus basically says, it's pitiful when you read it. It really is. He basically says, Father, can I have the room I once lived in when I come back home? Can I have my place? I mean, it breaks your heart. Gosh, you read that like, he says, God, can, Father, can I have my place when I come back home? Secondly, would you please watch over these men? I mean, I've come to love them. I know them. I know they don't know what they're doing. I know they're falling all over themselves, but the enemy's going to do everything it can to ravage them. They don't even know what they're walking into. Would you be with them? And then thirdly, you know who he prays for? You. You. Us. He says, Father, I, I pray for all the future believers that they'll hear my words and know what they mean and protect them from the evil one. And in just a moment, you're going to see who the evil one is. Verse 25. Keep reading. These things I've spoken to you why I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. 
Here it is. Remember how he started out? Watch how he's ending. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Go back to verse uh, 27, Ariel, if you could. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When you think about peace I leave with you, do you know 3,500 years of recorded history, we've recorded less than 300 years of peace. And most of that was probably because they didn't have the ability to cross an ocean and fight a war or a body of water. You and I will never know peace on this earth. We won't. As in this time, until the Lord comes, we just won't know it. I mean, let's say a miraculous thing were to happen and the, Shi, uh, the, the Sunnis were to make peace with the Shiites and then they make peace with each other and then you think they're going to make peace with the Kurds. The Kurds are going to make peace with the Turks. Well, the Turks make peace with the Greeks. Well, the Greek, it doesn't stop. It does not stop. There is so much rage and anger in the world that you will not see peace descend on this world. And so what do we pray for? What does Miss America want? Peace on earth. You ain't getting it, sister. Not this side of the Lord. You won't get it. The reality is what we have is peace in the Lord. That's who we have. That means this. When you talk to somebody who's imprisoned, and right now there's, let's say there's ministers of the gospel who are imprisoned in Turkey and other countries of closed nature, I can guarantee you, guarantee you, they have peace. I can guarantee you people do not understand that peace. That is the difference. That is where you and I have an opportunity to do something. Peace has everything to do with resources in the world. Has everything to do with a relationship in ours. Everything. You can be under absolute attack and yet have absolute genuine peace. That is the peace promised to us. Not the surface level stuff. Every time you think, oh, well, out of something bad, we'll never forget. You'll forget. I mean, 9-11 was a tragic thing that happened. And yet there are days, and you know it in your life, you go by and you don't think of it. I see people at funerals. This person will never forget. People believe hallmark statements like that more than they believe realistic uh, theology. No, you're going to forget the person. You will. That's what happens. I uh, I was talking to someone, they were going to Dallas, Texas. I was like, Dallas, wow, you got to go to the grassy knoll. How many of you know what the grassy knoll is? I said, you got to go to the grassy knoll. It's where Kennedy was shot, right? Well, this young person says, what do they serve? I'm like, you're kidding me. And I hung up the phone. No. And I'm like, what do you, he says, he thought it was a restaurant. I'm like, no, man. It's where, are you kidding? History was altered. That's what, never forget, they said in Dallas. Guess what? Never forget means they serve mushroom burgers, I guess. It just, we can say, this, on this earth, there's going to be peace. There's going to, no, it's not. It's not. Because why? We're trying to make a journey as easy and soft as we can. But that is not the purpose of God in our lives. The reality is it's the journey itself that every, every trip, every fall, every moment you stumble is a moment and an opportunity to grow closer to God. 
And so when someone looks and says the graveyards are as equal for the Christian as the non, absolutely. But I can tell you the journey to the grave is different. And the journey after the grave is everything different. But the reality is our lives, as we have, if we preached a gospel that said this, no matter my path, no matter how rocky, how smooth, how bumpy in the road, that that path has been designed for me. And that path is where I find Christ in my life. God did not say, fellas, I'm leaving you with somebody who's going to make it easier for you. I'm going to leave you someone that's going to help you when you need help. I'm going to leave you someone who gives you counsel when you, when you feel like you need counsel. I'm going to give you somebody who comes alongside you when you feel like you're alone. And he's greater than I am. Verse 29. And I've told you before, all, Jesus is saying this, I've told you before it takes place. So then when it, when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk with you, much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Then he says this, rise, let us go from here. I preached this one time in a large church, and I said, rise, no joke, the first two rows started to get up. Every time I look at that, I just kind of crack up, like, don't get up. Matthew 7 says the way is hard. Psalm says, Lord, may you be a light to my path. The worst thing we could ever preach is when you walk out of here, things will be easy. The reality is when we walk out of here, we reckon that God will always be there no matter the path is easy or hard. But I can tell you this, it's in the hard times that you recognize him more. And you do. I, there's no doubt in a hospital bed is where you meet God in ways you never thought possible. Watching someone in a journey in their faith, I look at them sometimes and I'm thinking, you have no idea what's ahead of you. Not because of the things that may happen where they'll stumble in the fall, but who will pick you up that you will never think will be there. You know, I mentioned that home... I walk into my Aunt June and Uncle Ben that I miss. And there, I mean, I lost so many of my family in such a short time. Buried my heroes. And what, burying my mom was just like the, it was like, how much? God, you've, I just I have no one left to call when the plane lands or you just want to celebrate a certain memory that you just, I'm like, God, come on. I just, I, I've still got some time left, I think, in this earth. And I'm thinking, man, I just could have used a little bit more of that. And we go to a baptism service about a month ago. And I walk in Brett and Carla's door. And the sign just says, come on in. And I walk in. And there's a conglomeration of baked beans and Tostitos chips. And some corn salad and a 20-year-old Tupperware bowl. And I look outside the sliding glass doors, this older ranch-style home. There's people sitting out there at the pool. And I was taken back to what it was like when my family was around. And God has given me back a family in you. In those moments, I just sat there and looked around and thought, 
I have back what I never thought I would have. It's not an accident. We started this church. It's interesting to see who God sent. Exactly who we needed. To give us a family. To see what a family looks like. And nobody would have known in that day and that what that day meant to me. Nobody would have. You don't know what you mean to me. And I think of this, Jesus sitting in that room, looking at those men saying, you have no idea what you meant to me this is the last year and a half. Then no matter how many attacks I came under, you were there. And Peter, soon, you don't even know it, but you're going to attack a guy and cut off his ear when it come to arrest me because you love me that much. He doesn't leave them a helper because he has to. He did it because he wanted to. Because that's what love does. And the reality is we don't walk in here as the object of someone's ill-fated desire to hang on a cross in misery. He did it because he loved us. And he doesn't promise us a helper because he has to. He promises it because he wants to. He promises it because you're worth it. He promises it because he says this, I am in my Father and you are in me. And together we're always going to be together. And by the way, you won't, you won't live in a distant neighborhood. You will live in my Father's house. And this makes sense of the prayer when we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, this is what I'm going to pray. It fixes our priorities. It fixes our desires. And it fixes the value that we have from Christ and the ability he has to change worlds we thought were dead and gone. That's the power of being in Christ. Of not just believing, but believing in him. And for those that don't, we'll have a journey with the help of only those who can grab a hold or maybe know them. Thank you for being in that journey. We share a language that not a lot of people know. We share tears, we share laughter, we share love. And we share a father, and one day we're going to share the same roof. What a powerful truth. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your peace does pass all understanding. That God, we think of the peace that we have in you, and we think, Lord, that it is beyond what this world can offer. Father, I thank you for the fact that you won't leave us alone. You haven't left us alone. You said in Scripture that we're not going to be treated like orphans, that how the world would treat them. But Father, we would be always ha- we would always have somebody who would come alongside and help us. And Father, the power of being included in the love of that Trinity, who everyone is 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 connected to the other, and, and Father, and you wish to bring us into that same love. Father, we blush at the thought. Father, we thank you. Maybe just take a moment and and think about the importance. Think about the value that God has placed on you. Not for what you've done. Not for what you look like. Not for what you make. Not even for how you treat him. But for who you are. 
that he not only pursued us, he now walks alongside of us. And he gives us the power to ask great things in that name. Jesus, we do pray in that name of Jesus. Amen.